Well, good morning. How do you feel? You should feel really good this morning because you got an extra hour of sleep, right? Uh, maybe. Um, anyhow, it's great to be with you today. We are in the midst of 40 days of community, and we are learning how to be better together. But when I put this plan together uh, back in August when Eddie and I were talking about this season, I said, the day before or the Sunday before the election, I have just got to speak on one of my favorite topics. And it's a great chance to just make people uncomfortable and kind of uh, irritate them a little bit. And I love to do that. So uh, let me dig in. So anyhow, thank you for being here today, because as I said last week, I'm going to talk about how to vote. Because we are going to vote, those of us who are citizens of uh, the U.S. of A., we are going to vote this Tuesday. And I'm excited to talk to you about that. So we will come back to the wrap-up of 40 Days of Community over the next couple of weeks. But today we're still in 40 Days of Community, but we're off track, if you could. Sidebar, I guess. Um, what you're going to do, actually, on Tuesday, if you go to the polls and vote, actually what you do is very rare if you consider all of human history. Very few people in the history of the world have been able to vote. I'm sure that you remember this from your classes in junior high and high school, but actually we can thank the French for something because our current democracy and ability to vote goes back to the 18th century and the movement that took place in France. And if you want to fast forward a a little bit, ladies, if you remember Woodrow Wilson, that's when you got the privilege of voting, 1920, less than 100 years ago. In other words, we've got some members here that when they were born, women could not vote. You realize that, right? You don't. Well, look it up. Not only that, we've got some folks here that couldn't vote back in the 50s because they're African-American. And it wasn't until under President Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act to ensure that blacks could vote around the nation. In the 1960s, just 40 years ago. So again, what we're about to do on Tuesday is very significant, and I want to talk to you about that. Now, I know, and I've probably done it, we like to complain about our government, we like to complain about the candidates. But I hope you remember when you go to vote on Tuesday that you are a rare breed. Very few people have ever had the privilege to do what you're going to do. It's rare, and it is a privilege, and I hope you value it. Now, you and I have been bombarded with an avalanche of advertising. My son told me this week, he said, Dad, Bill Clinton called me. I said, wow, Mayor Bogart called me. And Governor Schwarzenegger has called some of us. I mean, you've gotten all sorts of calls from friends you didn't even know you had, right? We have been bombarded with an avalanche of advertising. And if advertising wouldn't work, they wouldn't do it. So it does influence us. Now, today, I want us to take our Bibles and to uh, be influenced in some other ways. And I want to ask you some questions. I want to nudge you. And really, I want to, I guess, do two things. I want to consider how does the Bible speak to what we're about to do on Tuesday, that is, vote. What does the Bible have to say to us? And secondly, I hope to ask some questions that will stimulate your thinking at least a little bit before you vote on Tuesday. Now, it's going to be helpful if you follow along with the outline, because I want to begin with some questions there. But before I do, I was thinking back to when Joyce and I got married at age 19. It was like 10 years ago. Yeah, right, somebody said. They're not buying it. You don't buy that, Marcy? No. 
Um, well, anyhow, a couple years ago, when, when Joyce and I got married at 19, um, President Johnson was the president, and everybody was surprised because he did not run for election. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated. President Kennedy had been assassinated. It was a tough time in our nation. President Nixon, uh, Richard Nixon at that time, ran for president against Hubert Humphrey and George Wallace. And President Nixon was elected by less than seven, uh, seven-tenths of the percent of the national population. Less than one percent elected him president at that time. Now, as Joyce and I began to talk about who we were going to vote for, I had a shock. In fact, I wondered if the marriage should be annulled. Because I realized I had married somebody from the other party. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. How could this happen? And I was dumbfounded. How could anybody be that? Nobody in my family had ever been of that party. And so I, now I didn't really think about annulment, but I did think, well, how in the world didn't we talk about this? You know, we're so in love and got married and she's going to vote for him? What? How could this be? And it was quite a painful reality in my young life as a 19-year-old, just married to realize what on earth is going to happen here. I couldn't believe it. I was upset because I enjoy politics. I enjoy talking about it. And I, I said, how, does this, how could you possibly think like that or vote like that? And so thus it began. Now, we didn't have the marriage annulled, and we've been working on these issues ever since, and I'm going to leave it at that. But now are you ready for a question? Here's a question, and I don't want you to answer this out loud. I want you to think about it. But the first question I put in your outline is this. Who or what most influences you on how to vote? And I've just jotted down some things for you to think about, but you have been influenced about how you vote. And I just made reference to the fact that the family I grew up in had a huge influence on how I thought politically, and so does yours. Now, I put down their coin toss. You, you might say, well, it's just as well flip a coin and vote for, you know, heads, this person wins and tails, that person. That may be what you do. I don't know. The media, of course, influences us. The news influences us. A candidate, candidate's looks influence you. I better not say what I'm thinking here, but uh, you know it does. Uh, Saturday Night Live may even influence you. There's all manner of things that influence us. So at the start, let's just be honest that we have all kinds of influences pushing us to vote this way and not that way. And, and I want to highlight that today. Now, another question to ask you is, what influence does the teaching of Scripture, the teaching of Jesus and Christian tradition have in your life? And I've given some boxes for you to think about. The reality is, and let me say this, if you're a guest, just so you know where I'm coming from, you know my biases and I've got them, my reality is, that years ago I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe He is who He claimed to be. And I invited Him into my life. I said, I want you to forgive me my sins. He did. And He really put me on a new path as I accepted Christ. And so I would say I am a follower of Jesus. And I think most of us would say that today. That is my perspective. That is my bias. Now, as a follower of Jesus, how do I know the ways and will of Jesus? Now, some of us say, well, I can just sit there and pray and sort of feel like Jesus wants me to do that. Your feelings are a very bad gauge of what Jesus wants you to do. Very bad. You can have all kinds of feelings. How do we know about what Jesus wants for us? Well, we know because God has given us a witness. It's called the Bible. 
And so as a follower of Jesus, I realize I cannot actually know God's will and the ways of Jesus without opening this book. You just can't do it. And it is the primary influence in my life as to how I follow Jesus, this book. Now, there are other influences, the church, Christian tradition, history, counselors, friends, you. Those are also good influences. But this is a huge influence. And so I ask the question here, what role does the teaching of Jesus, Scripture, Christian tradition, and the church play in your life? And if you're honest with me, uh, I talked to people this week, and we were talking about some of the issues, and I realized the Bible has no value in determining how they're going to vote. I understand that. That's true. And when you think that people outside the church ought to listen to you quote Scripture, they don't value it. It doesn't mean anything to them. It should mean something to us. And so, again, to state where I'm coming from, my bias is uh, I hope that I'm a good Baptist, in other words, a person of the book. And that's been a hallmark for those who have been in Baptist churches is we're going to be people of the book. So this morning I want to turn to the book and uh, look at some Bible verses and to ask you uh, how these influence you as we talk about how to vote. So let's begin. And uh, again, I've stated where I'm coming from. I'm a person who believes in God. I'm going to follow the Bible as best I can and understand it. And that's my bias. Now, that leads me to say this. In the Bible, we begin in the first chapter, and I've listed these verses so you don't have to look them up, but you can read the entire context. The first words of the Bible are what? Why don't you read this with me? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let's stop there. Those are the first lines of Scripture. In the beginning, God. We believe in God. We believe God created. Now, towards the end of that chapter, it says something else, and let's pick up again. It says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, according to this scripture, what does God think of creation? Two words. Very good. I ask you this morning, can you go to your Bible and show me where God says, you know, I don't believe that anymore. It's not very good. I don't think you can. And I start with this early text to remind us about whose world it is. Now, I forgot to... Somebody, Cindy, hand me a hymnal. I'd like for you to find this brown thing in front of you. It's called a hymnal. I know some of you have never opened it, but we're going to open it right now. Would you grab one of these? Uh, while you're grabbing your hymnal, the first thing I want to say to you about how to vote is you ought to vote valuing our planet. Vote valuing our planet. Let's talk about what that means. This is a great picture. I like that. That's just cool. Uh, anyhow, turn, turn to your uh, hymnal, hymn number one. And in this hymnal, and I think it's kind of unique, but this hymnal begins by giving us songs about creation and the world. And it says, for the beauty of the earth. That's pretty Self-evident. And then you flip over to number two, a song you know very well, How Great Thou Art. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. Flip over to another one. Number four, God who made the earth and heaven. Number five, one of my favorite songs, Morning Has Broken. Another great hymn. And then number six, I'm going to stop here, but what does the title of hymn number six in here say? This is my father's world. Do you believe that? Whose world is it? 
Is it my world? Is it your world? Is it white people's world? Is it the U.S. of A.'s world? Whose world is it? And I think as we go to the polls on Tuesday, we need to reclaim the idea, this is God's world. It's the Lord's world. And if you want to read on into chapter 2, there's that powerful story where God says to Adam and Eve, I'm giving this to you to be stewards over it. You're going to care for creation. And he's entrusted the creation to us. It's a huge responsibility, isn't it? This is my Father's world. So I want to encourage you as you vote to think about the planet. Now, we haven't emphasized this in a while, but a few years ago we wrote down some core values of our church. What do we believe? And we wrote eight of them down. And value number eight is this, and I've listed it for you in your worship folder. It says this, we believe stewardship is the care of God's creation and faithful use of our God-given resources for God's glory. Therefore, we will faithfully manage God's creation and our resources. Now, I hope we can agree this morning, prior to voting, that considering the planet when you vote matters. Let me think about some issues on our planet. In other words, if the planet matters, pollution matters. If somebody threw... If somebody was walking down the street or driving down their car and after we were outside having our fellowship hour and coffee and you saw them with a, a bag from a fast food place, say McDonald's, and they ate half their hamburger and they got full and they just threw it out on the street, that would upset you. We would call it littering. It upsets you a lot. Well, think globally about our world. How are we littering? Do you realize in 2005, in fact, I brought my bottle with me today, in 2005, Americans drank 37 billion Plastic bottles of water and other things. 37 billion in one year. Now you say, well, yeah, but we recycle. Well, the best numbers I could find say that Southern Californians, and I think we do as good a job as about anybody at recycling, Southern Californians recycle about 16% of the plastic bottles. Now I know we're all into going to the store and getting a plastic bottle of water and it's very healthy to drink water, but I switched over to a metal bottle and I fill it up. So I don't have to keep using the same old plastic, or you can get a plastic bottle and reuse it. But this idea, just one little example of how we pollute the earth, 37 billion bottles of water in one year in this country. What are you going to do with all those? Well, we throw them away. Where? Well, we put them on God's earth somewhere. And they don't go away. Now, pollution matters. Global warming matters. Clean water matters. For the world we're talking about, sustainable energy matters. Food supplies matter. These are huge issues. So as you look at the people and the propositions before you vote, I hope you'll just remember, as a Christian, I value the planet. It's God's planet. And I'm going to seek out and vote for people who understand that we are stewards of God's creation. So that's the first piece of guidance I would like to give you this morning. As you vote, value the planet. Now, the next P that we want to fill in is value peace. Value peace. What I'm trying to do is to paint with broad strokes this morning. We can't go through 66 books in the Bible in all the verses. So as I considered what are some of the big broad brush strokes we need to talk about and think about as we vote. What are the big themes of the Bible? And certainly, our view of creation is one, the planet. Our view about peace is another. Now, I would like you to uh, 
it doesn't really matter to me what you think about what I say this morning. It's not very important. What is important is how does the Bible shape who you are, what you do, how you vote. And so right now, I want you to think about the word peace. And I'm going to give you some scriptures from the front of the Bible and the middle of the Bible and the back of the Bible about peace. And we're going to talk just a bit about that. The word for peace in the Old Testament is the word shalom. You've heard that word. You've probably used it, shalom. It's a tough word to define. It doesn't simply mean no war. Shalom is not just the absence of war. Shalom is wholeness. It's completeness. It's beauty. It's rest. It's, uh, in fact, Cornelius Plantinga wrote, and he said this, and I like it. He said, shalom is the way things ought to be. The way things ought to be. That's peace. That's shalom. Now, Moses, the man of God, when he was leading God's people in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, there's a, a blessing that he would pronounce over the people of God. And it was, it's, it's something to lift up. This is God's dream for you. This is what God wants for you. And so Moses would lift up his hands and bless the people. And he would say something to this effect. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face toward you and grant you what? Peace. Shalom. Shalom. The Lord give you shalom. And that's what God wants for us. Now, we can go to the prophets. Isaiah is one of them. And as Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah who would come, you may recall, in fact, in the next month we'll be reading this scripture again, no doubt. But there in the beginning of Isaiah, Isaiah talked about the Messiah who would come, and he gave some names to describe Messiah. What was one of those names? Well, in Isaiah 9, 6, it says to this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Prince of Peace. We believe that Scripture prophesies about the Messiah, who is Jesus. That when Jesus came, he came as the Prince of Peace, to bring peace to God's world. Now, as you think about that, uh, it leads us to the words of Jesus in chapter, John, in chapter 16 of John. Jesus, before he left the earth, gave some strong teaching in John. One of the things he said there was, I have told you these things so that you might have peace, shalom. He said, in the world you're going to have trouble, but I want to give you peace. Another theme, a huge theme. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, one last reference to give you towards the end of the Bible, the book of First Peter. Peter's an old man now. He's walked with Jesus all his adult life. And he says these words as he writes to Christians. He says, turn from evil, do good, seek what? Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. Um, in an article that I read recently, Dr. Glenn Stassen, our own Dr. Glenn Stassen, wrote these words. Jesus clearly called his followers to be peacemakers. So peacemaking is one critical criterion for deciding for whom you'll vote. Uh, they have, we have a peacemakers group that Glenn and Jill and others have formed in our church. You might want to join that. Peacemaking is huge. In that article, Glenn quotes Rick Warren, the famous pastor from Saddleback. And Rick says this, I'm not a politician, I'm a pastor. But I do know that in any conflict, whether in marriage, in business, or between nations, as long as the parties keep talking, there's hope. And he goes on to plea for whether a marriage, a relationship, or a nation, or nations to keep talking to seek peace.
Now, you may be wondering, well, Steve, what can I do? Well, you can start by reminding yourself that you follow Jesus, who is a peacemaker, who talks about peace, who encourages us to find peace with God in our own relationship, and who encourages us to have peace with one another in our personal relationships and to seek peace around the world. And you can also look over the politicians and say, is this person for peace? Are they a warmonger or a peacemaker? What are they doing to seek the peace of the city? You remember Jeremiah speaking to the exiles in Babylon, people in captivity, people who could not vote, who could not even make any decisions about their lives. Remember Jeremiah said, pray for the city, seek the welfare of the city, seek the peace, Jeremiah 29. So uh, the second value I would encourage you to vote concerning is not only the value of our planet, to consider the planet when you vote, but consider peace when you vote. What propositions, what politicians will help us move further down the road of peace? Now, you can see from your outline there's another P word coming up, right? (laughs) This one is about people. Vote valuing people. Vote valuing people. Would you read these scriptures? Um, I hope this is just so obvious you would know this, but it's, it's important to, to lift this up. Would you read these scriptures with me that talk about the value of people, the Bible talking about how we value people? Let's read from Genesis 1.27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. All people, from the least bright to the brightest, All people are made in God's image. That's huge. Uh, Let's read John chapter 3, verse 16. The first few lines begin, For God so loved the world. God loves our world. He's not just talking about the planet. He's talking about the people. And then lastly, our theme for this year, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, the emphasis on people. Value number two in our core values as a church says this. We believe God created people in God's own image. But through disobedience, our relationship with God was broken. Therefore, we will value all people and we will walk humbly with God and with others. We will walk humbly with God. As you and I talk amongst ourselves, as we talk with other people, we're going to talk with people who see things differently. We ought to have this spirit of humility and grace, as it was prayed just a moment ago, towards all people, no matter what their perspective Uh, as we talk. I was reading Philip Yancey in Christianity Today recently, and he wrote these, he wrote this, let me read it to you. For all its strengths, the United States is showing some alarming signs of ill health. Now, this was actually written before the collapses we've seen in the past few weeks. The United States is showing some alarming signs of ill health, and he gives some examples of that. With less than 5% of the world's population, we have 25% of the world's prisoners. You realize that if you combined all the prisoners in Russia and China, they would be less than the prisoners we have in this country. Wow. What does that say to us? Philip Yancey goes on to say, we consume half of all the world's drugs in the world. 5% of the population, we take 50% of the drugs. And yet, by most standards, our overall health ranks lower than other developed countries. In every major city, homeless people sleep in parks and under bridges and outside church doors, I might add. He goes on to say, our leading causes of death are self-inflicted. 
obesity, alcohol, sexually transmitted diseases, stress-related illnesses, drugs, violence, and uh, environmental cancers. Obviously, politicians have not solved all our problems. Amen to that. So as we go to the polls to vote, we would we should wrestle with the reality that people matter. All people matter. The unborn child matters. And so does the prisoner on death row. His life is also precious in Jesus' sight. We should value the life of the aliens among us and the stranger among us and the foreigner among us and around the world. We should value health care for all people in this rich country. There are all kinds of matters that we need to talk about that we should value if we love people. My heart, in fact, I wept this week. I was looking on um, the L.A. Times News. Joyce and I were in Congo a few years ago, and so that place has a special place in my heart. Millions of people are dying there. Nobody really cares. And there's war in Goma. And there was a picture on the L.A. Times of a little boy about this high maybe eight or ten, and he was walking down the street. He was fleeing Goma because of the violence, and he was walking with bottles and clothes and things hanging off his body as he was fleeing with his hands over his head with just utter despair. And I said, my God, what's wrong with our world when a little boy like this is going down a street alone? And I just wept as I saw that little boy. What can we do about that? Why don't we care about Congo? We ought to ask our politicians those questions. And so I want to encourage you, people matter. Let me conclude with this. Chuck Colson wrote in an article, his article was entitled Voting Matters. He was encouraging Christians to vote. And he said this, If we look at politics from God's perspective, we see that he has a deep and abiding interest in all people being treated fairly. If God favors any special interest group, it is the poor, the hungry, the unborn, the handicapped, and the prisoner those with the least access to political power. This is why we Christians should never allow ourselves to be, as the press has often characterized us, a special interest group pleading for a certain agenda only. But if we were a special interest group, we would be lobbying for the dignity of all people, especially those who cannot speak for themselves. So this morning, I want to ask you, how are you going to vote on Tuesday? And will you, before you go to the polls, value our planet and think about what does God say about God's world? What does God say about peace? What does God say about people? And will you vote in that direction? Now, before we go, don't vote until the last point you pray. You pray. Let me read this powerful scripture from Second Chronicles. It's a promise. And I hope you're encouraged with this promise this morning. Uh, the Scripture says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. The prophet Jeremiah called people to pray and he called people to seek the welfare of their city. Our Core value number seven in our church is, is about prayer. And we say this, we believe prayer is communication with God through the Holy Spirit who transforms lives for Christ's purposes in the world. Therefore, we will pray with great expectation. I'd like you to stand right now. And I'd like for us to pray with great expectation. We've got a prayer that we're going to put up on the screen. And I'll ask as we stand for those who are serving communion to come forward. And uh, would you pray this prayer with me? 
a prayer for God to help us as a nation and a world. Shall we pray together? It's okay to watch and pray where you have your eyes wide open. Let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, you are the lover of creation, savior of people, and giver of shalom. Lord, you have promised that if we humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, that you would hear from heaven and forgive our sins and heal our land. We need your healing, Lord. Father God, today we seek your face on behalf of ourselves, our state, our nation, our world. We confess we have been proud and prejudiced. Too often we praise the rich and revile the poor. We confess we are greedy and not generous. We have been hard-hearted and heavy-handed. We wage war instead of win peace. We complain rather than contribute. We gripe instead of give. Lord, forgive us and heal us. Father, would you touch our eyes so that we might see how to help others? Would you touch our ears so that we hear your spirit and vote your will? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated.